Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I know with all of life's ups and downs, but if you can say this morning that you really believe God is good to you and has been good to you and your family, can you say amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. God is certainly good. And you can, we have, as I mentioned before, we have camp this week, and I have a special place in my heart, as I know many of you do, for church youth camp, because that's where I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And I also, I just wanted to make you see, um, David Simmer, where are you? Is he here somewhere? Did they already go, then maybe they already went to camp. Okay. So David's our junior high speaker, and John Spooner, our senior high speaker. So I want you to just remember those names, David and John. And I want you to pray for them. Uh, this week as they uh, share God's word at our camp ministry. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we open your word. We pray that, uh, again, we would listen to your words. It would draw us near to you. Uh, we come at this time and continue to worship through your word as we reflect upon it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a song that I know that many of you know, of course, and uh, it was special meaning to us, of course, this last year, and that was, I walked today where Jesus walked and felt his presence there. And that song, when we traveled to Israel, the Holy Land, this uh, last spring, two months ago, naturally that song kind of comes to mind for some of us that uh, uh, grew up singing that uh, song in church and so on. I walked today where Jesus walked. And there are many places there, and Cliff, I'm going to need your help because of my remotes uh, disappeared with all the VBA stuff this week. So I know you can do it. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so when we go to, to Israel and, you know, you, you, you walk, you travel, and there are many places where, where you, we can say with pretty good assurance, this, like, there's an area in the old city of Jerusalem, this is the pavement Jesus walked on. We went to the place where he was held in Caiaphas's palace, this is the place that Jesus was held. And there are places like that. At the same time, there are a lot of things around it that weren't there then. And so you have to use your you know, focus a little bit. But the one area to me, the three times I've been to Israel, that really to me um, have such a genuineness to think, wow, this is, this is exactly like it was over 2,000 years ago when our Lord was on this earth, and that is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, is the area where Jesus spent his entire life, except for his few excursions to Jerusalem outside the area. But this is where he grew up. This is where uh, he ministered for three years, based in Capernaum. And I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 14 this morning as we consider another story of... Well, I want to... I want to suggest to you is tremendous faith. Not everybody's going to agree with this, but I'm going to suggest to you this is a story of tremendous faith. And it takes place in the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, this is a picture of the shore. And that's like I say, when, when you stand there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and, and look at that water and look at those rocks and just focus on that. It just really gives you a sense. This, this is really where it was. This is, this is just, this water hasn't changed. Oh, it's different water. We know that. But it's coming from the same place. It cycles the same way. This hasn't changed. 
when you go on the, the, the boat, as you always do, and you travel, and I always like to take a few moments and kind of get close to the edge of the boat, look over into the water, and here is this very, very beautiful green water, and you look over into that water and, and think, this is it. This is the place. This is where Jesus walked on water. And, of course, that's kind of interesting because when we say, I walked today where Jesus walked, this is the one place that is so authentic but it's the one place that you're not going to walk, right? <laughs> because it's water. And this is always just really something about this particular scene, to feel the wind coming across the lake and looking at the water and, and thinking that this, this is exactly like it was when Jesus was here. And this, this Sea of Galilee was such an important part of his life. And so in chapter 14 and verse 22, we read from Matthew, immediately, and this, is the, this word... It, now, immediately, Jesus made the disciples. He, he told them to go. And the, you know, in this next picture, you can see the, the hills up above, and, and it says that he told them to get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. And you know, you'd have to, and you can take time on your own to read the previous chapter too, but the context is simply that, well, if you look at chapter 14, verse 1, it, you may have a, a line above your, that text that says, John the Baptist, Baptist beheaded. And this is the account that um, Herod, the Tetrarch, he says, when he hears about Jesus, he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous power is at work in him. And then we have this horrible story of how uh, the daughter of the Herod that was ruling at that time was married to his brother's wife, which John preached to him and said, this is not right, you cannot do this. And the daughter danced, and he was so enamored, you can have anything you want to have my kingdom. Mother asked, tell him you want the head of John the Baptist, and this gruesome, gruesome story. It's not one we put in our children's books, right? Real graphic picture of the Bible stories. This bringing his head on a platter, to this feast. I mean, how wicked and gruesome and, and sick is that? And this was this was John, this was Jesus' cousin, you know, down the line. It was also the one who baptized him. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, the one whom the prophets spoke about. And this this gruesome story that's recounted here, and it came to Jesus as well, I think had an impact on him. In many ways. It was family. It was gruesome. It was, a, it, was, it was so sinful and dark. And he also was a constant reminder of what was ahead of him and across the Calvary. Another gruesome, horrible, sinful, from a human perspective, death. But a holy death because he was the holy sacrifice for our sins. And then as, there, as, as he is there and he hears this, it comes time for the crowds to leave and the disciples say, hey, we, nobody was planning on staying this long. These people, these people are, are hungry. It's, it's time to go. Send them home. And Jesus says in verse 16, you don't, don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. Well, they had five loaves and two fishes. And, of course, this is the story of the multiplying of these. And they fed the entire crowds. Then they went home. And it was getting dark. It was evening. And Jesus goes up to the mountains above Jerusalem, I mean above Galilee, excuse me, above Galilee to pray. And as he does so, he sends his disciples on the boat and says, you go across the lake. And by all accounts, put it together, it appears 
They're going from the west side by Capernaum area, east over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, and he says here, I will join you. You go over there. And, and they said, we find out that he will, he will join them. After he dismissed them, verse 23, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. And this is, this is a whole sermon in itself. We're not going to stop here today, but you can stop and think about it. Think about this. He is God, right? Amen? He's God. But he goes to pray. He is human. And we never can, we can never lose, lose this, that it's both. He is a hundred percent human without sin. He is a hundred percent God without giving up his essence, his persona. He is the God man. And he has, why would he need to go pray? He's God. But in in the humanity and in his ministry and placing underneath the Father for the sake of our salvation, he goes up to the mountain and he goes up there to pray all night. Pray all night. I mean, he's got to be tired. He's human. He's exhausted. He's been caring for his people. He's been, he's, he goes up to pray and apparently to pray all night. This is something you can contemplate. I mean, if, if the Lord Jesus Christ, if this was so important to him, how about us? And I, and I have to ask myself, you know, I, I, I love to read newspapers. I love to read books. I love to do a lot of things. Do I have time to pray? Do I have time to pray for you and to pray for the Lord's ministry? And I'm caught up short so often say, you know, what about your prayer life? Do you, do you have time to pray? you have time for everything else? And Jesus went up there to pray. But while he is up there, verse 24, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And just taking the original language here, the lake's about five to six miles across. The many stadia that's used in the Greek here suggests they're about three to four miles across the lake. They are rowing west to east. The storms, if you, if you picture it, and those that were there, the mountains on the east side, that the, the storms, the Scirocco winds come down from the east, they come down over the lake, and even though all the times I've been there, it's been pretty calm, pretty nice. Last time we got pretty windy, in the evening, it can get very windy, and that's and that waves. Those waves in that small lake, it's it's you know it's, it's not a huge lake, but it can get very tempestuous, and that's what happened here. And it says the waves were 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 buffeting. This is that's an interesting. It's an interesting word. It's a word that's also used in demonic activity, but it's the idea that they're buffeting against the boat. These are seasoned, some of these guys are seasoned fishermen. They've been out in this lake many, many times fishing. They've been out there many times at night fishing, and they understand this. But this was significant. And it, and it was and it was out there in the middle of the lake, and they are trying to row west to east against the winds. And the winds are against them, and it appears the boat is, is threatening to, to maybe break up. The, the boats they used here, one of the interesting things you see in Israel, this, this is called the Jesus boat <laughs> by some people, not to suggest we know this is the boat Jesus used, but they discovered this boat in the Sea of Galilee. And I know it looks like kind of a skeletal thing, which it does look like. But they, they went to tremendous care to put this in foam and to lift it out and to care because the thing was so unusual. But it's the only one they've really found from this time period that really gives you an idea what the, what the boat probably looked like. This is a model based on that skeletal design. It's a boat big enough for 13 men, but it's not a huge boat. 
and it's made of wood planking along the side. And, and, and we saw how they, how they nailed them and put them together. And uh, this is the type of boat that Jesus and his disciples, or the disciples were in as they went across, rowing, rowing with a small sail and rowing against the wind. And they went across that, they went across there. And then we see this, during the fourth watch of the night by the Roman standards, so early before dawn, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, walking on the lake. And when they saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. The, the wind is against them. The boat is in danger. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm not a, I am not a mariner, <laughs> okay, in many ways. But I am not a seafarer. I love the water. But I've never spent, I've never spent a night on the water. I don't think, except on a cruise ship. And uh, for one time. I've never been on a boat in a storm at night. We have people here who, the Edwards family, have lost relatives in the fishing industry in Alaska. And uh, we understand here in the Northwest how dangerous this can be. I, I frankly can't think of hardly anything more frightening than be out in a boat that's about to break up in a storm at night with no hope of, of being rescued, especially in this day. There's no Coast Guard. There's no helicopters. And here comes Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. They see someone walking toward them on the lake. And what else could it be? It has to be some kind of spirit. What else walks on water at night? If you looks like a human, but no one does that. And it's walking toward them and they cry out. It's a, it's a spirit. I don't know. I don't think we want to use the word ghost, you know, like a Halloween type thing, but it's, it's a spirit. Like in the Old Testament, you know, when the, when the, with Samuel, the story of Samuel and so on, and, and they see this coming to them and they cry out in fear. But Jesus immediately, notice what he says, immediately says to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. What's interesting is in the original Aramaic, which would be translated in the Greek here, it really comes in, what, what he says when it says our translations, it is I, it's I am. I am. And many of the commentators point this out, that later on in resurrection, post-resurrection, understanding of who Christ is, these things become very significant. I am. Because that's the name of God in the Old Testament, right? Yahweh, I am who I am. When Jesus said to the to, to those who were trying to, to persecute him, to the, to the Jewish leaders, and, he, and they said, he said, I am, and they fell back. They knew what he was saying. And when he claimed to be I am, he was, it was worthy of death. And it says here, he says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. Now, our translation here in the NIV, and most of our translations in verse 28 say, Lord, if it's you. But again, the best, the best Greek scholars will point out, some of you are familiar with D.A. Carson, for example, will point out in his commentary that, it's not that conditional like, okay, if that's really you, it's more of, since it's you, since it's you, because in the Greek, the if and the since are very close and it's hard to always tell, but the context, since it's you, Peter cries out, since it is you, then enable me, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus had enabled his disciples to do miracles. He sent them out to do miracles. They had some of the powers that he gave them. He says, if, since it's you, then enable me to come and walk on the water. 
toward you. And Jesus simply says, come. Okay, come. Come on, Peter. Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. I would love to know a little more of the details of this part here, right? I mean, I mean, in my mind, if it was me, I would get out of the boat like this, you know, right? <laughs> See if it's really going to hold me up, you know? I mean, this is water. Come on, this is water. Any of you lived in the Midwest when those lakes freeze over, right? And you go out there and how many times you heard people falling through the ice, even that you. This is water. It's a storm. These are waves. The wind is blowing. It's frightening. I mean, think of this is a seasoned fisherman. He's well aware of the dangers. He gets out of the boat and steps on the water like it's hard ground. I'd just like to know how he did that. You know, I'd, like to, I'd like to see that picture. But he did it. He left the boat, went on the water, and he starts walking toward Jesus. And the picture I have in my mind, as he's doing this, his eyes are glued to the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is walking on water. He is in the middle, literally, of the lake. The storm is surging. The storm didn't stop. He is walking in the storm on the waves, up and down, which means he must be going up and down too. And he's fixed his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you know what happens. I think many of you, if not, here it is. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, notice it was the wind. It wasn't the waves. When he, when he, all this, did he not see the wind before? Did all of a sudden they come, come to Peter that, wow, the wind's blowing? Or was it more that his eyes are fixed on Jesus and all of a sudden he looks at the storm and all of a sudden realizes what he is doing? It's still, it's still a figure out there. He's heard his voice, but he hasn't touched him yet. He's not close enough to, he's still walking, he's going toward him, and it's getting closer. And he's just about there, and he looks around. And the minute he starts to do that, what happens? He was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out simply this, Lord, save me. Just like they did when he came, when the Lord came down the Mount of Olives, Hosea na, Hosanna, save now. Lord, Hosea na, save now, save now, save now. And immediately, Jesus now is close enough. He reaches out his hand. He caught him. Isn't that interesting? He caught him. He was, that, doesn't that indicate to you he's about to go under? He's sinking. And, and, and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and catches him. About, he's about to go under, brings him back up. And takes him back to the boat. And when they get back to the safety of that boat, Jesus says to him, immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He says that in the water. They're both standing in the water now. They're both standing there. Peter's back up and Jesus looks at him. What was his tone of voice? What do you think his tone of voice was? Parents, 
Tone of voice, right? Teenagers, right? Tone of voice, look. We were just talking just the other day. My, my wife was talking about riding home on, how times have changed, riding home on the bus. And this lady who was pregnant, I think she was pregnant or something, got on the bus and was there and there was no seats and all these, you know, people with their phones and backpacks and everything that just sitting there looking away. No one offered her a seat. And so Teresa got up and offered her a seat, and she took it because she needed a seat. And I told her, I said, boy, I remember one time riding the number six Stoneway downtown with my mother. And a lady got on, the older lady got on the bus, and I didn't get up to give her my seat. She just looked at me. She didn't have to say a word. Her eyes were like, if you know what's good for you, you better get up. <laughs> and you better give that lady your seat. And boy, did I get up. <laughs> And Eunice Shamaria didn't say a word. And I, we never talked about it either. <laughs> Tone of voice. Body language. Look in the eye. What do you think? Peter, you of little faith, what is wrong with you? Why did you doubt? Peter, come on. Or Peter, why did you doubt, Peter? You have little faith. He didn't say you have no faith. Did you notice that? He didn't say no faith. He said, Peter, you have little faith. Why, why did you doubt? He asked him a question. Why did you doubt? Why did he doubt? Why did he doubt? Because of fear. When he took his eyes off the Lord, looked at the waves, and he was afraid for his circumstances. And Jesus takes him back in the boat. And when they get back in the boat, they climbed in the boat, verse 32, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat, they worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. And this exclamation, truly, you are the Son of God. Listen, in closing, there's three things I want you to think about from this account. This is a series on stories of tremendous faith. And I want to suggest to you, you know, see, oftentimes, whether it's people in the Bible or people in our lives or ourselves, what we remember is their failures, right? And we all have plenty of those. But I want to suggest to you, this was a tremendous act of faith on Peter's part. This was a tremendous act of faith. No one else said anything, right? Peter said, since it's you, Lord, enable me to come to you. I, I don't think, personally, I don't think it was, again, body language. I don't think it was, oh, yeah, right. If it's you, then you tell me to come. No, he says, Lord, it's you. You've been able to tell me to come, to walk on water. You're walking on water. You've given us power. Tell me to come. And he got out of the boat. It was a tremendous step of faith. Maybe this is where the phrase step of faith comes from. I don't know. He stepped out of the boat onto the water. It makes absolutely no sense. And if anybody knew what could happen, it was Peter, the fisherman. And I want you to remember, this is Peter, who oftentimes we stereotype. You know, it's just someone who just shoots off his mouth. This is, this is Peter, one of the, the, the three closest to Jesus. 
Peter, James, and John. And this was a tremendous step of faith that he took. Secondly, I want you to remember from this story what every one of us can relate to, our human condition. We all know, what, we all know what's going on here. Gary talked to us last week in the Sermon on the Mount of trusting God. We all know what's going on here. We have all, and I'm not even going to say have been there. We will be there this week. Right? Every one of us, you know, we live by faith, not by sight. We are a people of faith. But I dare say there's not a person here who's going to raise their hand if I asked you and say, who has finally got to the point in their life where they live every day by complete 100% faith and never have any fears about anything? It's our human condition. We are saved. We walk with God. God's been good to us and our families. God has been good. Why is he being? That's number 13 grandchild for me. <laughs> okay? God's been good to my family. Why? God's been good to your family. Your family. Why? Why has he done that? And we walk by faith and we trust him. But what happens? How many times we look back and we say, why, why, what, what's it going to take for me to get this? Man, when reading the Old Testament, we're, we're getting the prophets now. We're in Isaiah and our daily reading. And it's like every day over and over again, why don't they get this? But then we have to ask ourselves, why don't I get it? Why don't you get it? What is it about our human condition that we all can identify with Peter we step out in faith, and we do, and you do. You step out in faith, and you do things God calls you to do. But then all of a sudden, something comes up, and it's, it's scary. And we take our eyes off the Lord, and something happens to remind us. And, God, and, and here's the third part. First part is, this is a tremendous act of faith, and we should never be afraid to step out on faith. And the second thing is, we all know our human condition, that it's not always going to work out the way we start out. We all know that. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to take our eyes off the Lord. We're going to start to sink. The third thing I want you to remember, the, the part I love most about this story, and the part that I reflect on when I'm on the Sea of Galilee in that boat, is what Jesus did. What did he do? He immediately reached out his hand, took Peter, lifted him up, reminded him, why did you do that, Peter? Brought him back in the boat. And this is the same Peter we looked at some weeks ago that Jesus said, Peter, your name is Peter, and I'm gonna, on that rock I'm going to build my church. And Peter becomes a very significant apostle who, who God uses. Three things. Step out on faith. If God's asking you to do something, and you know he's asking you to do something. Do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk to that person. Don't be afraid to deal with that issue. Don't be afraid if God's leading you to do something. And you know that he's leading you. Don't be, don't be afraid because you know your history that you're probably not going to be 100% successful. Peter had to relearn this many, many times. Because God, our Lord Jesus Christ was fully human. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, he was tempted and always like us. Tempted and always like us. 
The author of the Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with our infirmities, but in every way was tempted. He knows exactly what it's like to be human. And friends, let me close with this. He is there to reach out, to reach out his hand and to lift you up. He's not going to say, Peter, come on, let's see you tread water for a while, huh? Come on, Peter, you got to go down a few times. No, he immediately, immediately, and this is the Peter. We read from Peter this morning. This is the Peter that writes this. In this you greatly rejoice. This is Peter, many years later, who, by the way, is for all historical purposes, was brutally murdered for his apostleship and his commitment to Christ. He could have said no. He could have backed down, but he, he was brutally murdered. Tradition is he was crucified upside down, and it's pretty good tradition. And he says this. I'm not sure how long before he died, but he says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, your faith, of greater worth than gold, gold which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He saw him. He walked on water with him. But he's going to be revealed again. And then he says this, though you have not seen him, and that's you and me too, you know, we have not seen him. We have not, I've been to Sea of Galilee, but I didn't see Jesus on it. Had used my imagination. You have not seen him, but you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter went through that experience so many times like everyone else. And God used him. God used him to change so many lives. And God wants to use you and God wants to use me. So friends, please, 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 don't let your failures... Don't let your failures and your stories and your experiences where it didn't quite come out the way you thought for sure it should come out. Don't let that stop you. Don't let it stop me. God needs us. God wants us. God loves us. And God is calling us this week. Step out on faith again. Do it again. Keep learning. Keep growing because this is the faith that God has called us to and it's leading to that day that we are going to see him. Amen? And I hope you're going to be there with us because Jesus Christ, guys, come up and lead our last song. Jesus Christ, all that we're talking about, this all has to do with the fact he came to earth to die on that cross to pay for our sins. So that we could even be here today and talk about forgiveness, eternity, hope, and salvation. And he offers that to you if you will say yes to God and receive Christ as your Savior. Amen. Come on, let me hear a hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is so good, isn't he?
Aren't you glad you know the Lord is your Savior today and that you're in His care? Uh, as I mentioned, several people for prayers reminded I saw Brother John there that uh, Betty Oberg was also in the hospital for quite a long stay uh, last week and a half, but she's home now, recovering well. So I want you to add Betty to your prayer list as well as all the other people we've asked you to pray about. Uh, she's doing good. And uh, listen, friends, don't let anybody or anything make you afraid or intimidate you this week, including yourself. Don't let anybody make you afraid to stand up and do what is right and step out on faith. This is the first day of the week. First day of my new grandson's life. How do you like that? This is the, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Big Lou, right? Big Lou. <laughs> this is the first day of a new week. We worship on the first day. We worship a God of new beginnings. Let's, hallelujah is right, brother. Let's step out on faith. Huh? And serve God with the freshness and the newness this week because he loves us so much. Father, we thank you. We do thank you. We love you. We, we, know, we know how imperfect we are. But God, we, you've called us to walk by faith, not by fear, and not by the past. We are in the present, and we have only the future with you ahead of us. Some of our dear loved ones that we've, we've mentioned and talked about this last few weeks, they've been called home to be with you already. We will all soon be there. And Lord, what a glorious day. We're, we're not going to be, this is not Hollywood. We're not going to be sitting on clouds playing harps and stuff. We are, we are going to be serving and worshiping the God that made everything beautiful about this world that we know, the entire universe. It's not dark, it's light. And Father, we have so much to be thankful for, even, even with the fears and the challenges in front of us this week. May you give us the courage. Fear not. Have faith. And walk with you and serve you with joy and gladness this week. In Christ's name, all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen.